ago when I was in a room next to the women's Sunday school class. And they were worshiping in Sunday school class. Amen. Not only that, but we know that worship also took place about six hours ago over in Europe. A number of churches are, had gathered and glorified our Lord and, and Savior Jesus Christ. About 12 hours before that over in Asia, worship was taking place as well. About an hour from now, we know that worship will take place at those states that sit in the central time zone. And then about two hours from now, worship will take place for those states that sit in the mountain time zone. And then about three hours from now, worship will take place at those states that sit in the Pacific time zone. Our God is so great that he's worthy of praise in each and every time zone. His worship is not just local. His worship is universal. His praise is not just local. His praise is universal. How great is our God. Amen. Truly, it is a privilege and an honor to, to come before you once again. A privilege and an honor to, to share God's word with you and, and definitely um, not to be taken lightly. Amen. Uh, so truly, it is an honor. Uh, let us go to, the, to God's word and continue in worship by opening our, our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. If you look at verses 1 through 10. And the word of the Lord reads, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we humbly come before you, Lord God, your throne to adore and to worship you, Father God, and to sit under the authority of your word. We pray, Father God, that you would speak to us, Lord. Minister to us, Father God, and help us to see thy glory. Uh, Lord God, may much be made of you, Father God, and little of us, Lord God, for your grace, Lord God, how it has captured our hearts. Capture someone's heart this morning, Father God, by thy grace. Uh, grace, Lord, that would save someone this day. Grace that would compel us, Lord God, to live a life, Lord, devoted to blessing your name. We thank you and we praise you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, for the past few months, we have witnessed the political campaign of presidential camp uh, presidential candidates it's been in high gear right we've seen the political debates we've seen uh, enough of Donald Trump and all the other candidates and so many other things taking place and as usual there's there's a great deal of mudslinging between the candidates right uh, you see a lot of of fussing back and forth and and a lot of uh, of um, tearing down one another's character, and so on and so forth. But there's something else that is just as common as the mudslinging, 
and that is the boasting from the candidates about what they have done, what they're doing, and what they're going to do. Each of the candidates boasting what they've done or doing or what they're going to do in hopes of being the next president of the United States. It, when you think about that, I was, I was thinking about that earlier, and how amazing would it, have, would it be if, if rather than us voting for candidates based on their boasting of themselves, if we voted on candidates based on what others say about those candidates and how they have impacted their lives. We too, as Christians, are called to boast. As I was thinking about the candidates, uh, I was thinking also that we are to boast as well, but our boasting is to be a little bit different. Uh, quite a, in fact, it's to be quite a bit different. Our boasting is not to be based upon what we've done, what we're doing, or what we're going to do. But our boasting is to be in the Lord. In fact, 1 Corinthians 1.31 says that, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And we'll see in this particular passage, in, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, we'll see that God's grace, God's grace gives you something to boast about. It's not enough to say, I don't boast in myself. But the question is, do we boast at all? And, the, and do we boast in God? And, and so we'll see in this passage that, that Paul gives us something, he writes in such a way that we can see that God's grace gives you something to boast about. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul writes a, a beautiful uh, introduction, and he just goes in and he really helps the Christians in Ephesus then and us now come to see the privileges that we have in Christ Jesus. He starts out in verse 3, and he, he just goes in and he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of him, to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, a privilege, the forgiveness of our trespasses, privilege, according to the riches of his grace, privilege, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. <laughs> making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And even in verse 11, he still continues, revealing our privilege in Christ Jesus. In him we have obtained an inheritance. That's what he says. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Privilege. He goes in the first chapter, talks about privilege. But then Paul does something beautiful here. And in chapter 2, just so that we don't get conceited and get the big head when he talks about privilege, he wants to, he, 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 it's like he goes in and he says in, in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10, he says that every privilege that you experience as a Christian, everything that you, you have to, 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 to endure or that you have received as a result of being in Christ, he says it's all because of God's grace. Paul transitions to our position in Christ, but in those verses, he makes it known that, uh, that all the privileges we experience through Christ is because of his grace. And as a result, the only reasonable response is not to boast in ourselves, but to boast in his grace. The passage, this passage is marvelously written because what Paul does, he helps us to see God's grace at work in every single stage of our lives. In just those 10 verses, he helps us to see God's grace at work in, in, our, in the past, in the present, and in the future. And the more we see God's grace at every single stage of our lives, the greater praise we will give to God, surrendering to him, and the more we will desire to live for him and not for ourselves. So Paul just goes in and just gives us a beautiful writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit on what this grace looks like. 
And because of that grace, we are able to stand in Christ Jesus and be called a child of his. That's why we see Paul start to talk about what our lives are, were like. He, he goes in, in in verses 1 through 3, and he first focuses on what our life was like before Christ. What it used to be like before we were sitting here on Sunday morning worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe some of us were still worshiping God or came to worship, but we weren't worshiping God on Sunday. And so Paul says he wants us to look and see uh, what this grace looks like, just how gracious God was to save us from our sins. When you look back at what your life used to be, it should lead you to boast in God's grace for rescuing you from your past. That's the first thing that we see. In those first three verses, Paul helps us to see that we're to boast in God's grace for rescuing you from your past. Verse three, verse one, he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Just in those first two verses, Paul says, you were messed up. Before Christ, you were messed up. He says, in fact, you were, not, you were more than messed up. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Physically, we were alive, but spiritually, we were dead. Unable to communicate to God because God is life. God is spiritual, but, and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Because of, we were born in sin, shaped in iniquity, we were dead. And not only that, but we were, we were walking, following after the things of this world. You know how we used to be. Whatever the world did, whatever was going on in the world, whatever was popular, we were there as well. Following after the ways of this world. Lusting after the things of this world. He says that's what you used to, to be like. Not only that, following after the prince of the power of the air. Who is the prince of the power of the air? Satan. Some of you are like, I never followed Satan. Well, if we weren't worshiping and following God, we were worshiping we were following Satan. There is no middle ground. There is no gray. It's just black and white. Either you're following God or you're following Satan under, the, under his influence in this world. When we believe or, or live, some of us may have not been as far out in the world as some, of us, some others may have been. We may have lived morally right, may have never drank, may have never done drugs, may have never done a lot of these things that, that some others may have done. But if we did not know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we were dead. Just as dead as the other person doing those things. Until God came into our life. And that's what Paul is trying to emphasize here in these first, first three verses. He goes in, he tells us, that we were spiritually dead. Paul even includes himself, and this is amazing. In verse 3, he says, among whom we all once lived. Paul was talking to Gentiles, non-Jews. We know that Paul was a Pharisee and that he was one who was very devout in following the law. He said, blameless. He said, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, right, from the tribe of Benjamin. He's laying out his credentials in, in Philippians chapter 3, saying that this is who I once was. And he counts himself in that same group as the Gentiles in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, when he says, among whom we all once lived. He says, I was like that too. I was dead in the trespasses and sins in which I once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. But he was, he was very devout in his religious exercises before he knew Jesus Christ. Though I myself, he says, have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. That's what Paul said. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to law, he says, a Pharisee, as, as, a zeal, as to zeal, he said, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, he said, blameless. But then in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So Paul is saying, he says, we were all in the same boat. If you hadn't given your life to Jesus Christ, he says, you were in the same boat. 
regardless of where you came from or what you, what, you know, what your, your family's devotion or your parents' devotion to, to Jesus Christ was, he says we were all in the same boat. And the amazing thing is, we look at this and, and he says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. The fact that God chose you and me, those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, the fact that God chose you, you did not choose God, God chose you. He lets that be known in verse 3 of, 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 of chapter 1, where he says that, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us before him, before the foundation of the world. He didn't just choose you for salvation. He chose you before the foundation of the world. So even though in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, where we see we were dead in our trespasses and sins, the fact that he chose you in your state of being dead is amazing. And the only way that we can, we can come to life when we're spiritually dead is if God breathes life into us. That's the only way. The dead can't wake themselves up. We see that in, in John chapter 11 when Jesus Christ comes to the tomb of Lazarus, right? He comes to his tomb and, and Lazarus is out until Jesus calls him to wake up. And the same was with us because God chose you and he chose me. He chose whoever puts their faith in Jesus Christ. God has chosen you. But even something greater that stands out to me in this passage is the fact that God kept you and me even when we were acting like fools. I don't know about you, but I can look back over some things that I did, over some places I was, over some people I was with, and I could be like, thank you, Lord, because those times I was not following Jesus Christ. But God kept me. God kept you. Until that day where grace penetrated your heart and you decided to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The fact that God kept you when we didn't follow him, when we didn't know him, we didn't care about God, the fact that he kept you is amazing. When we weren't calling on him, when we didn't care about him, the fact that he kept you until you would accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I remember um, back when I was probably about 14, 15 years old, it was kind of a time where gangs were starting to kind of start to ramp up a little bit in the Newburgh area a little bit. And, um, and I remember, you know, on our street that we lived, you know, a number of, of guys that I grew up with really close, like brothers, and, and so we decided since, you know, there was a lot of other gangs, if you will, in other little areas or pockets throughout the neighborhood, that we kind of come together as a group as well. Now, we were kind of, um, we weren't necessarily so high on saying we were a gang, but we went to the, even to the point of, of naming ourselves, right? And so I'm not, uh, now, for those kids, I'm not promoting this now. It's just, I just want you to see how God's grace moved. And so I remember one time we were at school, there was a high school event, and we were coming from high school, and, and uh, we were in my friend's car, and we were coming back, and we decided we were going to take a little ride through uh, another neighborhood, another part of the neighborhood, before we came back to the house. And so we came, and we saw a couple of other uh, guys that, that, uh, that, you know, we didn't quite get along with. And so... I remember one of the guys saying, okay, turn, turn out the lights, turn out the lights. And so we, we decided we wanted to pull up on them kind of slowly and just say hello. Just to say hi. And so as we started to, to kind of slowly pull up, this blue car with no lights on, these guys looked back. And they knew something wasn't right. So they started taking off running. And so, being that we were, we started speeding up, pull up, close as we could. 
And then everybody jumped out of the car and started chasing. Well, I jumped out, I got out, and probably didn't take one step. I kid you not. If I had a basketball, I didn't even walk. That's, that's how many steps I didn't take. I didn't even get to take much steps. And keep in mind, I'm, you know, I was in good health. I was, you know, used to running stuff. Before I even took one step, I felt the most excruciating pain in my hip. So much pain, I couldn't do anything but to get right back into the car <laughs> and sit there and wait. I know what Jacob felt like <laughs> when he was wrestling with God. Hip was hurting, it was killing me. To this day, it was probably one of the most, it was one of the worst pains that I can think of. But what happened? God. But God. You can look back over periods of time. I didn't know it then. My silly self, I'm sitting up here chasing after somebody else when I should be chasing after God. How many times have you in your life, when you were chasing after somebody else, chasing after some boyfriend or girlfriend that you knew you shouldn't have been chasing after, but God still was gracious towards you? When you were chasing after money, when you knew that money wasn't going to satisfy you, but, but instead of chasing after God, chasing after money, chasing after power or chasing after something else, when we should have been chasing after God, but it was God's grace who kept you and kept me until that time in which we would cry out that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. That's grace. Grace that kept you, grace that chose you, and grace that kept you when you look back over your life. Some people may say, well, I never did anything like that. Well, if you had not given your life to Jesus Christ, you may have been thinking that you were self-righteous because you didn't need God. God kept you then until you found and, and realized that you needed God, that you needed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's grace. Now, that's the reason why we can boast in God's grace for rescuing you and me from our past. Something else that's music to my ears here is the fact that Paul said, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. At verse 1, he says that. In verse 2, he says, in which you once walked, right? And then in verse 3, he says, we all once lived, right? He makes a point to say, this is what you used to be. This is not what you are now. Because of God, because there's a but God in your life, because God was rich in mercy, he says that this is what you once were, not what you are now. The question is, can you say that? Can you look at your life and see those moments where, where you can see that, but God, when you can look back and you say, but God, but God rescued me from my past. And I'm not talking about the one thing that we need to be careful of is sometimes we may see that, okay, I, I don't do those things that I used to do. So we may think that because I'm sinning less, then I'm in favor with God. Sinning less makes us no more in favor of God than anything else. It's only our faith in Jesus Christ, repenting of our sins, turning to him, trusting that he will forgive us of all of our sins that makes us right with God, not sinning less. So just because we're not doing what we used to do doesn't mean that we're, we have peace with God. But if we are like what Paul says, where we can, we can look and we can see, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. God, being rich in mercy. The moment in which God captured your heart and led you to live your life for him rather than for yourself, that's the moment in which Paul is talking about, where you can look back and you say, but God. And you can boast in God's grace because of how good he's been with you, even in the past, even when you weren't pursuing him. And that's the, that's the beauty of it. Sometimes when we look back at our lives, we're so ashamed of some of the things that we did that we don't even want to talk about it. There's some things you did don't nobody even know about. You're like, I ain't telling anybody. I'm going to the grave on this one. And you hoping God don't bring it up, right? Oh, I hope Lord don't bring it up. Oh, God doesn't bring this up. There are some things that you have done in secret that don't nobody know about. Some things you've seen that you know you shouldn't have seen. Some people you were with you knew you shouldn't have been with. But God's grace. 
God's grace and how he, how he kept you. The fact of the matter is, we should, if, for those who are in Christ, we should be taking those moments and, and, and looking for opportunities to say, okay, rather than being ashamed, because, because now in Christ Jesus, I, I'm unashamed, because I'm hidden in Christ Jesus. I'm no longer who I used to be. So I can talk about where I used to be. Because I'm going to use that to help someone else see that God, if God can do it in my life, that he can do it in your life as well. So rather than sitting on my testimony, I'm going to declare, okay, this is where I used to be. I, I used to watch pornography, but no more. I used to be having sex outside of marriage with, with, with different people, but that, that's no more. I used to be in drugs, but, but no more. This is where I used to be. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved me. Even when I was dead in the trespasses and sins, in which I once walked. So don't be ashamed. God removed, Christ Jesus removes all shame. It was nailed to the cross. Shame was nailed to the cross. Condemnation was nailed to the cross. Guilt was nailed to the cross. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it was nailed to the cross, buried in the tomb, never to rise again if you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Praise God. You don't have to be ashamed. Somebody say, I know what you used to do. Yeah, that's what I used to do. But because of God, this is who I am now. And we're not boasting in ourselves, right? We're boasting in his grace to rescue us from the past. Just like a fireman puts on a fire suit, goes into a house, burning house to pull somebody out, Jesus Christ put on the flesh, came to earth to rescue you and me. When he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it, but because of his love and his grace. Praise the Lord for his grace. We see Paul, he goes from speaking about how we are to, to boast in God's grace for rescuing you from your past. He goes from there to going to boast in God's grace for positioning you in the present. For positioning you in the present. We see in verse 4 where he goes in, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I hope you see what I'm talking about here. He says, he says first of all, he says he, he saved you. He made you alive. Jesus Christ, when he was hung on that cross, buried in that tomb, when he rose again with all power, he says that because of those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, they have a new life. They're no longer the same person. You're a new person. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Christ conquered death and freed you from the power of sin. And because of Christ, you don't have to be a product of your past. You don't have to be a product of your past. In, in fact, if you're in Christ Jesus, you can't, go, you, you, can, you can't go back. It's like never going back because he's got you. He gives you his Holy Spirit, keeps you. If you're in Christ Jesus, that's beautiful right there when he talks about the fact that you are made us alive together with Christ. Only God can make you alive. Only, only God can, can resurrect the dead. And that's what he did for you and for me. A new creation. No turning back. The old person was crucified, as Galatians 2.20 says. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus who lives in me. For the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm. You may look the same, but your walk is different. You may look the same, but your talk is different. You may look the same, but your desires are different. And it's because God is continuously doing a work in you. It's not like it maybe happens all of a sudden, but just over time, after giving your life to Jesus Christ, because there's a but God in your life, because God was rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved you and me, our desires start to change. So rather than doing some of the things that we used to do, we don't do them anymore. We can look back and say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I used to want this or want that. That's God's grace working in your heart. That's God's grace moving in your life. He, make, 
he made you alive. But not only did he position you in the present by making you alive, I want you to see that he seated us, raised us up with him, and seated us with him. I mean, this is amazing. In verse 6, he says, and raise us up with him. Raise us up. When Jesus Christ rose, resurrected from the grave, for those who put their faith in him, you're baptized not only in his death, but in his resurrection. So you raise a new person. When Jesus Christ ascended into heaven, he's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father, Jesus Christ, with all power, authority, and, and honor, and glory. He's sitting on the right-hand side of the Father. And guess where your position is? Right there with him. Right there with him. He says he seated us in the heavenly places. Right there with him. Physically, you're here, but spiritually, your place is there. You're already there. It's done. It's finished. There is no removing it. I want you to see this. He's already put you there. Your salvation is not like a layaway plan where you got to keep working toward it to pay it off. It's done. It's already paid. He paid for it on the cross. That's reason to boast in God. He even goes in on verse 3. He, he mentions that. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He says, not only did he make you alive, not only did he save you, he secured you. <laughs> if you know Jesus Christ, he's already prepared a place for you. Your name is book, written in the book of, of, of life, never to be removed. There is no eraser. That's security. If you put your faith in Christ, if you repent it, turn to him for the forgiveness of your sins. You're seated with him in the heavenly places. That's where Jesus Christ has all authority, all power. So if he's there with all authority, all power, and he says that you're seated with him in the heavenly places, you got, that, you got authority, you got power to live because of the Holy Spirit he gives you to live different than you did before in your past. So you don't have to be a product of your past. He frees us. He allows us and positions us. We are adopted as children of his. We once were objects of wrath, but now we're objects of his mercy. We once were enemies of his, but now we're his children. Praise the Lord. That's reason to boast. In his grace. In what he has done. Seating us with him in heaven. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? He didn't have to do it. God didn't have to rescue you. God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, God, the Son, they were perfectly content. That's the reason why God said, I am that I am. Self-existent, in need of no one. God was good. So the fact that he chose you, it has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with how good we are, how much we know. It's all because of him for his glory. In verse 7, after he talks about how he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places, he says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. So God saved you, made you alive seated you with him in, in Jesus Christ in heaven, raised you up so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness so that others would see, so that there would be great boasting in what God has done. So that we would lavish praise on him. That's what Paul is trying to get us to see. Because if we see this, if we know where we're at and we see what God has done and how grace has entered into our life for those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, if we see this and we know this, then that will lead us to live a life totally radical for God. Totally for his glory and for his glory alone. And not for our own. So rather than us trying to figure out what we're going to do and how this impacts me and it, it helps us to, to, to gain a new vision of, okay, how, how, do, how, how is it that I can glorify the Lord with my life? How is it that I can live my life to, that, it would, that it would speak of, of what he's done in, in, in and through me? That's what God is trying to get us to, 
so that we would boast in him and not ourselves. That we would bring glory to his name. Not only does he talk about why he did it, he talks about how he did it. In verse 8, he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Paul continues to, he uses that, he goes back over and over, it's like it's a bookmark here between verses 4, I think, through, uh, through 7, where he, he, he goes in in verse 5 and he says that uh, even when we were dead and our trespasses made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And then he comes down, talks about in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. What is Paul doing? Whenever we see something being uh, uh, reiterated over and over again, Paul's trying to make a point and let us know that it's by grace you have been saved. Your works mean nothing. Your good works mean nothing. He's trying to help us to see that. That grace, what's grace? God's unmerited favor toward us. It's a gift. Sometimes we find ourselves where, you know, it's, it's natural for us to want to work for something, to feel like we've earned it. But God removes that in the, in the, in the way of salvation. Because the moment we start to feel that we earn something, we feel like we own it. And we feel like we can do with it what we want to do. But God says, look, this... This is, this is totally outside of you. You're coming to church. How much you give in tithes and offerings, he says, that is of no merit in salvation. He says it doesn't, he says it, it has no merit. It gains you nothing more to get closer to God. You can volunteer. You can do a lot of things. You can be a big brother and big sister. You can sell your house. You can sell your car. You can give away your house and give away your car to somebody who needs it. But that is not going to draw you any nearer nearer to God. Only Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Grace. So that we can't boast in ourselves. And you know what that does? Grace humbles us. Grace should not lead to a big head but a humble heart. It humbles us. Because when we see someone else who doesn't know Jesus Christ or someone who is, is, is in sin, like we used to be in sin, it leads us to think, well, it should lead us, grace should lead us to have some compassion where they should see God's grace in our life because we know that if it's not for the grace of God, there go I. If it were not for the grace of God, I could be that murderer. If it were not for the grace of God, I might be that that, that sexual offender or whatever the case may be, if it were not for the grace of God, I could have been the one that was locked up for some of the things that I did. If it were not for the grace of God, there go I. So that should lead us to be more compassionate toward those who are broken, those who are lost, those who don't know Jesus Christ. It should also lead us to be missional, where we go and we try to share the good news because we know we were once there as well. And if it were not for the grace of God, we would still be there. Sometimes the problem I think we have is we don't think that we're as bad as we really are. Sometimes in the world in which we live, you know, we, make, we speak a lot about it as far as, um, you know, maybe somebody being in drugs or murder. We, we, you know, we have these ways in which we elevate certain sins. And so some of us may grow up and not have indulged in those things. We may have been what you would consider pretty clean, you know, compared to the worldly standard. And so that, because we have a hard time, I think, truly understanding how holy God is and how sinful we are, it keeps us or hinders us from really acknowledging how just amazing God's grace is and how deserving we were of his wrath. And I think if we see that, we know that, then that again should lead to us being more gracious and compassionate toward others. Because we know that, man, if it had not been for God's grace, I would be in the same situation. Not only should we boast in God's grace for rescuing us from our past and uh, for 
positioning us in the present, but also we can boast in God's grace for preparing you for the future. So God not only, his grace not only works in the past, the present, but it also works in the future. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. For we are his workmanship. Workmanship, that word, the Greek word for that is poema, which is the same word we, we get the English word poem. What God is really trying to help us to see here is that he is, is like, a, he's an artist, he's, he's molding us and making us, shaping us and transforming us for good works. God is wanting us to see, it's as if Paul starts out in verse 1 of this chapter and says that you were a mess, but now you're a masterpiece. Because of what God's grace has done in your life. This is what God does. This is what his grace does, Right? His grace, he, he, he works in your life. He, he, he begins to transform you to look more and more like Jesus Christ, shaping you and molding you, making you into the image of Jesus Christ, which is the best image there can be. God, what he's wanting us to see here is that through preparing us for the future, that he prepares you for good works. God saves us and then he prepares us for good works. To do good works, to bless others in how we live, and, and it's only because of, of the Holy Spirit working in us. Jesus Christ said it in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. And in Titus chapter 2, Paul goes in a number of times in Titus chapter 2, Verse 11 through 14, he says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce godliness, ungodliness, and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. And then in verse 14, he says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are what? Zealous for good works. And then in chapter 3, verse 8 through 9, he does the same thing. This saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. In verse 14, Paul does it again. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Grace not only rescues us and, and saves us, positions us in the present, but grace also prepares us for ministry. Grace also prepares us for good works. Grace allows us to be used by God to do good works so that others, not so that they would boast in us, but that they would boast in God. And if, we're, and if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that's hard. When we do some good work, when we maybe give somebody some money or whatever the case may be, you won't, come on, you won't at least a thank you or something like that, right? I know sometimes we want that because when we let somebody out in traffic, if they don't wave, we like, hey. Might be blowing your horn or whatever, you know, I'll let you out. We want that thank you. We want sometimes to be acknowledged. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So sometimes that's hard when, when, when we do good works, we want to, to, be, to, to, to receive some type of acknowledgement or thank you or whatever the case may be. But Paul is trying to help us to see, for we are his workmanship, we are God's workmanship. He, pre he prepares us for good works. So we can't boast. He is the, the, the sculpture. He, he molds us and makes us into the image. So, again, it removes any part of boasting on my part because I know that if it were not for him, then I wouldn't be able to do it. That's God's saving grace. Even God's common grace, for those who don't know him, he's working through them for good works. God is so good. And in, not only does he show that God has prepared us for good works, but God has prepared good works for us. God's like, all around, I, it's just me. 
grace. Ephesians chapter 2, where he goes back in and he lets us know, he shows us. For good works, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And what does he say? Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So God is saying that the, work, the good works that you do, I prepared them beforehand. beforehand. You're just walking in them. You're just walking in the good works that I've already prepared. I've already laid it out for you. So you can't even boast in the good works you do. When someone preaches a good word, they can't boast in that good word that they're preaching because God's like, I done prepared it for you. When you give somebody some money and you're being generous or whatever, God said, I prepared you to do that. When you help somebody out, when you're hospitable and you open up your home, God said, you can't boast in that. I prepared that for you before long ago. Before you even born, he said, I prepared you for that. Removing, stripping you of boasting. God strips you naked and says, look, I'm going to clothe you with, with, with my grace and my, my, my glory. And that's, that's, you can boast in that. Boast in my grace. That's just amazing. But God says, you can't boast about coming to me or choosing me in the past when you were in sin, when you were dead in your trespass. He said, you can't boast in that because that's me. That's grace. I chose you. I resurrected you. I, I, I saved you. He says, that was me. That's grace. You can't boast and doing good and sustaining yourself because that's me. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm sanctifying you. I'm working in you. I've seated a place for you in heaven. He says, that's me. He says, you can't boast about anything you do in the future. Any good works. He says, that's me. I've prepared it for you. I've prepared you for good works. I even prepared the good works for you. That's amazing. I've done it all. Past, present, and future. He says, boast about it all. God's grace, it's, it's timeless. I mean, it's just amazing what he does and what he's trying to show us here because if we start to see it, he's like, you will boast and then others will see just how gracious God is. We talk about amazing grace, but we don't know the depth, the height, the width, and the, and the, and the depth of the... We don't know how deep his love is toward us and how great his grace is. So when we see or we hear about grace and unmerited favor, God wants us to just fall down in adoration, be like, man, I knew where I once was. And the fact that he's already seated me in heaven, I'm good. But not only that, the good works that I do, they're all because of him. Boast in his grace. You know, um, many of you probably know or have heard about John Newton. John Newton, uh, the former slave trader, uh, grew up in the industry, uh, was deep in slave trade, um, and then God came into his life one day when there was a storm and the ship was sinking, and he called out to God, and God kind of miraculously worked and, and covered that hole uh, with some of the cargo. And so the ship made it back safe to land. And, and he says that around that time, that's when he began to, to give his life to, to, to Jesus Christ, to God. But some of you, if you have not heard of John Newton or you're familiar with the name, he's the same one that wrote the song Amazing Grace. And the fact, the reason why John Newton could write that song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. John Newton knew about Ephesians chapter 2. He saw, he knew what he was like. He recognized that he was dead in his trespasses and sins. He knew that God had seated him, had positioned him already in the present. He knew that God had prepared him for good works. Good works in such a way that not only did he, did he acknowledge that God saved him, but he, he took, God took him from being an abolitionist or from, from being a slave trader to being an abolitionist. That's grace. That's how grace works. It not only rescues you and saves you, but it prepares you for good works, which he did by being an abolitionist against slavery. It's good to know those songs, those hymns, there's a story behind them. 
And that's the reason why he wrote that. He didn't write it to get paid. He didn't write it to get paid. He wrote it because God had moved in his heart. And because of his grace, it led him to just write this song. The question is, have you responded to God's grace? God is, he may have kept you out of some things. He may have been doing some things in your life. Regardless of what God has kind of done in your life, the fact of the matter is, God did something 2,000 years ago that is far greater than what he's doing in your life now. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. When he knew that you would rebel against him, when you would not pursue him, when you would not love him, he loved you and demonstrated his love by giving his son, his only son, Jesus Christ, by taking upon your sins on that old rugged cross, hanging on that cross for hours upon hours during the day. That's grace. He was buried in a borrowed, he was buried in a borrowed tomb. But on that third day, he got up with all power and all glory, seated at the right-hand side of the Father. And if you, would, if you haven't responded to his grace, I want to, I want to plead with you to, and, and pray that I, I hope that you see how gracious God has been, that, he, that it would lead you to forsake everything else and, to say, and just to run to him and say, Lord, I want to I live for you because of what you've done for me. Because you, you, you died on the cross for me, Lord Jesus, I want to give my life to you. Not, not even worrying about what is to come later on. What is this going to mean or whatever the case may be, but trusting that God saves you. He's going to prepare you for good works. He's already got it laid out. All you need to do is just respond. Turn back to him. Put your faith in him. And acknowledge his grace and his love in your life. He's so worthy of your grace. He's so worthy of us to boast in him. But he's not just so concerned about just what we say with our mouths, but it's how we respond to him in action. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you would not leave here today without giving your life to Jesus Christ. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. There were many times I could look back and I'd be like, if the Lord had taken me then, if he had taken me then, if it was not his grace that kept me, and he decided to call me home, I would be before his throne waiting judgment of my sins. Eternal hell forever. But because of his grace that kept me, I can see how amazing it is. But don't take that grace for granted because no one, none of us knows when that time is going to be. So I want to encourage you, if you don't know Christ, that you would do so today. Allow us to talk with you and help you to know and what, what this really looks like. Amen? Amen? Let us pray. Father, our God, we again give all glory and honor to you, Lord. And Father, I know that seems so...